Hello and welcome. These are some sermons given by Monsignor Rosito from the years 1995 to the year 2016. Enjoy. Today is the second Sunday in Advent and it is also the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, which takes precedence and the Gospel of the Sunday will be read at the end of Mass. The epistle for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception is taken from the book of Proverbs. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his ways, before he made anything from the beginning. I was set up from eternity and of old before the earth was made. The depths were not as yet, and I was already conceived. Neither had the fountains of water as yet sprung out. The mountains with their huge bulk had not as yet been established. Before the hills I was brought forth. He had not as yet made the earth, nor the rivers nor the poles of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was present. When with a certain law and compass he enclosed the depths, when he established the sky above and poised the fountains of waters, when he compassed the sea with its bounds and set a law to the waters that they should not pass their limits, when he balanced the foundations of the earth, I was with him forming all things. And I was delighted every day playing before him at all times, playing in the world, and my delights were be to be with the children of men. Now therefore, children, hear me. Blessed are they who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man who hears me and who watches daily at my gates and waits at the posts of my doors. He who shall find me shall find life and shall have salvation from the Lord. And the Holy Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to St. Luke, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. At that time, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And when the angel had come to her, he said, Hail, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. So far are the words of this day's holy gospel. Now therefore, children, hear me. Blessed are they who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man who hears me and who watches daily at my gates and waits at the posts of my doors. He who shall find me shall find life and shall have salvation from the Lord. The words taken from the epistle of today's Holy Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. <coughs> My dear friends in Christ, Christmas is coming, and of course we are preparing our gift lists, and there are special wishes that we hope to have fulfilled for ourselves and what we want for Christmas. Now, what is it that you really want most? There are priorities in our lives, and there are immediate ones, and then uh, long-range priorities of things that we seek most in life. Christmas, do you want a set of golf clubs, coat, car, a house? Imagine if you could have anything you wanted from God. Now, uh, God did ask 
King Solomon, what he wanted most, he also asked St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, there are things that people might think more than just the material things here and now. For example, not to have to work anymore. Wouldn't that be quite a gift? Never to have to work. Or not to have to suffer. Um, not to have to make choices in life. To have a, an advisor that always gives you the wisest choices to make. Or to have complete happiness. Now, these are tremendous gifts that if God were to ask you and guarantee you would have it, whatever it is that you wish, what it is that you would want most. Now, King Solomon asked for wisdom. God praised him. He said, rather than riches, you have sought wisdom, and you shall have wisdom. Then St. Thomas Aquinas, when he was asked, said, nothing except thyself, O Lord. And perhaps he was wiser than Solomon. What is it that we should seek most of all. The Gospels tell us very simply, very clearly, seek first the kingdom of God and his justice, and you'll have everything else besides. Now, today's uh, lesson uh, concerns the commandments, but it focuses on the great commandments, the first of which to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first <coughs> and the great commandment. And wouldn't it be great if we had that as our fulfilled wish to love God above all other things? Napoleon Hill wrote a book concerning how to get anything you want. Quite a thought. And the answer is very simple, or the uh, recipe he says, um, just think about it. Just think about it. And as you think about whatever it is that you really want, even if you want a million dollars, think about it. And little by little, you begin to knit together the way to achieving the accomplishment of that goal. Now, it is said that goals are first in our intention. What is it that we seek? And that comes first. But the execution of that goal is last when we finally get it. So between the beginning and the end is a long road ahead. And in this road we have the whole course of our lives to achieve that which we want most of all. And if it's anything short of God, it's not going to be lasting. <coughs> Now, St. Augustine told us, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts will not rest until they rest in thee. So if we put this as our for first goal, it's the first in thought, but last in execution. So when we consider the great commandments, let us not think that by thinking about them, we have them. But it is something that we aim for, and in the course of our lives, try to achieve the accomplishment of the great commandment. And so we take lesson 85 today, the great commandment. Which are the, are the two great commandments that contain the whole law of God? Quite a breadth of expanse to cover all that in one or two commandments, actually. The first is 
The two great commandments that contain the whole law of God are first, the, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and with thy whole soul and with thy whole mind and with thy whole strength. Is there anything left out of there on your efforts with thy whole heart, with thy whole soul, with thy whole mind, with thy whole strength? The second, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Do we love our neighbors that much? How much do we love ourselves? How much do we love God? Who revealed to us the two great commandments? Our Lord Jesus Christ, God himself made man, revealed to us the two great commandments. We like to reduce things down to simplicities, to maybe one-liner, or even best, to one word, if possible. When our Lord himself, the wisest teacher, has reduced this all down to this commandment, um, we've got nothing else to add to it. Once the doctor of the law asked Jesus, Master, what is the great commandment in the law? The great commandment. Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart, with thy whole soul, with thy whole mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And the second is like it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The love of God is the greatest commandment because it includes all the other commandments. If you want to reduce it to simplicity, here it is. First in intention, however, perhaps last in execution. How do we come to this love of God? takes a lot of things along the way to build up this love of God. First of all, it has to be preceded by knowledge because you cannot love what you don't know. And how can we love God if we don't know him? And how do we come to know him? That's the doorway into the presence of God and his love. If we truly love God, we will do nothing to offend him. So we have to know the commandments, his will. What is it he asks of us? There's a lot he asks of us. Actually, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you also have the list of beatitudes of the rewards of those who do the things that charity requires, the love of God, the love of man. But we do nothing to offend him. We would not commit sin because sin is displeasing to him. We would obey all the commandments. Not only that, if we truly love him, we will do the things that um, he requires. And we will also do that which we know that pleases him. More than just enough. To go to the council the recommendations, not just the basic bare-bones commandments, but the fleshing out, the fullness, the, the glory, the Shekinah, as the Jews put it, that radiance that comes in that love and service of God, leaving no stone unturned. What a perfection, what a fullness. The two great commandments are inseparably united so that one cannot be observed without the other. As Holy Scripture says, if anyone says, I love God and hates 
his brother, he's a liar. He doesn't love God any more than he loves his neighbor. The greater our love of God, the more we shall love our fellow men. So you see, it includes everything in that love of God. And the more zealously we help our fellow men for God's sake, the more perfectly we serve God and our love of God can best be gauged then by our love of our neighbor. How can you love God whom you don't see if you don't love your neighbor whom you do see? So the one indicates the other. And without the one, you don't have the other. So we see it all falls holds together. It's one total commandment, actually, though separated into two parts. More specifically, the first great commandment embraces the first three of the Ten Commandments, which deal with our duties to God. The second great commandment embraces the last seven, our duties to each other. And all in the order of importance, I am the Lord thy God, honor thy father and thy mother. So authority and respect and appreciation down the line for all the decreasing then obligations connected with love of God and love of neighbor, love of man. The two great commandments affect and control all the powers of man, his will, his understanding, his emotions, his actions. Would we not have a perfect world needing no other laws if all men obeyed these two commandments strictly? For this reason, our Lord said, on these two whole commandments depend the whole law. We have millions of laws in the United States because we don't have the ten laws of God. We can't make enough to replace the ten commandments. Why should we love God? We should love God because he is infinitely good and perfect and worthy of love. You love beautiful things if you're normal. You love power. You love strength. You love intelligence. You love beauty, you love order, orderliness, you love cleanliness, you love goodness, you love virtue, you love things that are uplifting, productive, fulfilling. God is infinitely good, perfect. And you cannot help loving God if you recognize these virtues that he's put into creation as coming right from himself. And it never wears out. God is never exhausted in his beauty, in his intelligence, in his justice, in his mercy, on all these virtues that he projects forth into his creation. We can see the goodness and perfection of God all around us. If we meditate on his goodness, we shall never tire of loving him. Do you ever tire of a beautiful song, a poem, um, classic literature, you can hear it again and again and it never wears out because it is so fulfilling. And how can we ever tire of loving God? We love our parents and friends because they're good. Their goodness is nothing compared to the goodness of God. No matter who you think of, uh, there's still something imperfect or lacking, but there is a certain amount of goodness and that much we do love. But there is nothing lacking in God if we recognize and meditate and think about that, because we are limited and the picture of God is limited accordingly. But that doesn't make God limited in himself. 
we try to reach out and expand our understanding of God to a greater fullness so that we can love God with this greater fullness of understanding. He loves us. He loves us with an everlasting love. The only way that love is terminated is to not respond to love, to, in fact, hate the lover. And it is so unnatural for this thing that terminates love and cannot find any uh, redeeming features. And that's why we cannot love the souls in hell. They are not lovable and they do not love us. They can only hate because of the inversion that can take place and then does take place in those who are reprobate. But God is not reprobate, certainly. He loves us and continues to love us even if we don't know or love him in return as much as we could or should or even hate him as some can and do. But God is good and he's always doing good to us. He lets the sun shine, the rain fall equally. He doesn't discriminate. There's perfection in God. But it is our response that determines what blessing or punishments we receive in, from God in his goodness. We only have to think of ourselves and our lives to find an innumerable number of favors he has granted us. Sometimes we look at the thorns that pinch us rather than the beauty of the rose and its fragrance. It's there also. But when you're bleeding from a thorn prick, you know, you're concerned about that evil that has been done rather than the remaining good that is even greater than the suffering of that little thorn. And so in life, we have the thorns, and we concentrate on these sometimes more than the other greater goodness that God has blessed us with, our intelligence, our health, our integrity, our security. All these things are packed in, and we overlook them because of some little defect that we notice and complain about. And we waste our time in the complaints of life rather than the pleasures and the glories and the goodness that should bring us a certain amount of <coughs> happiness and satisfaction. Look at the half-full cup of life rather than the half-empty cup. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you had one son and you gave that son, say, to your country, and he died for it. What greater gift could you give? And what has God given to us? His only Son, who died for our salvation. That those who believe in him, not just anybody or everybody, but those who believe in him may have, may not perish, but may have life everlasting. So the condition is faith, who believe in Christ. There are those who don't believe in Christ. And what return can they give to God if they don't accept his Son? Yes, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have I drawn thee, taking pity on thee. Uh, he forgives us. What father would not forgive his son, no matter what offense, if the son is sorry? That overwhelming love of a father goes out to that weak, miserable creature who is called his son, that he brought into the world and nourished and nurtured and hopefully expects the greatest things to come from his efforts of investment in that child. And the son is sorry and the father forgives again and again. And our father in heaven likewise, because he loves. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights. What is there that we have of ourselves? Even our free will, God has given us. 
to use or misuse. And he won't interfere. But he loves us with a justice and a mercy. But everything we have, he has given us. Our eyesight, our hearing, our intelligence, our power to choose, to move, to accomplish. All of these things have come not from ourselves, but these things are gifts from God who loves us. And he's even got greater things awaiting us. Think of these things. If you want something, think about it. Meditate. Contemplate. Go part in silence and you will hear the things that God has in the echo, the background of the noise of life. He wants and commands us to love him. We are God's creatures. You know, it's built in. Um, we love our parents because they brought us into being. They gave us life. Who could give us that other than our own parents? And we should and must love them. No matter what imperfections they have, what crimes they may have committed, what injustices they may have performed even against us, but they gave us life. And here we are. No matter how we got here, we are here, and now it is up to us to carry on with our responsibilities those things are for the welfare of man and the glory of God. His slightest desires are law to us. We can't escape these responsibilities. How much more should we obey his solemn commandments? Our Lord said very clearly, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and with thy whole soul and with thy whole mind and with thy whole strength. Next question, when is our love for God perfect? Our love for God is perfect when we love him above all things for his own sake. Even more than your father and mother. Even more than your children or spouse. Even more than yourself. For his own sake. We love God above all things when we would rather lose life, property, friends, and all things else rather than offend him. Now, it's easy to say these things, but we need to mean them and to accomplish them. That's at the end of our intention, that we accomplish it and make it so. Unless you are willing to give up father, mother, children, lands for my sake, you're not worthy of me. That's the kind of attention and devotion we should have to God and to Christ, his son. There are those who have given up everything for God. St. Peter asked, we've given up all things for you. What are we going to get in return? Our Lord told him, in this life, 100% return. And in the next life, life everlasting. Is that what you would like to have? And what's the price you're willing to pay? Nothing comes free. If you're willing to give up everything then and only then will you get everything. So notice that the love of God has demands and they're not just empty demands but they are demands to be accomplished. And so it's in the living of our lives that we accomplish these things that earn this return, <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven. Then we must give up this world. Not as such, but we'll talk about that before we come to the end of our conclusion today about the spiritual life. What is this all about? What is religion? 
What does it mean to love God? When we are ready to do anything in order to resemble him, to give him pleasure. Now, we have a lot of hooks that catch the edges of life here and there and hold us back. And these are our prejudices. These are our pains and hurts. These are our means of jealousy and retaliation and anger and all the capital sins that keep us from moving on to this love of God, to accomplishing it. And we're waylaid and we're stuck. We're in a bottleneck. We can't move on because of these sins or these attachments that are very human rather than divine. We have to let go. Let go of these things, these hurts, uh, these words that are said, these actions that are performed or done, and not hold on to them because they're like balls and chains that keep us from moving in the direction of God. Until we're loose from them, we cannot proceed really very well at all. Our Lord said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. God permits us to love creatures, urges us to love our fellow men. But such love must be only for God's sake, subject to the love of God. Now here is where we have to uh, examine our purity of intention. We would like to have everything under the love of God, but unfortunately we don't. We have love of comfort. We have love of selfishness, that which pleases us and uh, frees us from our limitations. We have all these things that we love apart from God because we don't think of him when we make these choices or have these inclinations. But to cut loose from them and to go back again and again to the journey towards God, it's only when we give up things that we get God in place of his things. God wishes us to love him in his creatures, not the creatures for their own sakes. You know, we love the gifts of God sometimes rather than the God of gifts. And this is something, again, we have to purify our intentions if we're really going to accomplish this first commandment. We will not take, uh, he will not take second place in our affections. I am the Lord thy God, mighty, jealous. Don't let anything or anyone take my place. He will not permit us to love anything which detracts one whit from our complete love of him. And who of us is that perfect, at least at this stage in our growth and development? So the question was, when is our love of God perfect? When no other thing takes his place. We love God for his own sake when we love him for his infinite perfection. How can we imagine the infinite perfections of God? We can't. We're so limited. Our minds limit us. And so it's only through this little keyhole view that we have of God that we can really uh, love him to that degree. But if we tear down the door and see God in the fullness that is possible, at least within the framework of the door, to see beyond, then our love of God will become greater. We love God for his own sake when we love him because he is the highest good and most worthy of love, rather than because he gives us things. Our love of God is not perfect when we love 
him only because he gives us gifts or threatens us with punishment or promises us heaven. Now, these are good and they work. Um, we don't want to go to hell, but if our love of God were perfect, we wouldn't fear hell. We wouldn't even think about it. Nevertheless, imperfect love of God is often the beginning of perfect love. Little by little, perfect love develops from it. So let's use these little steps along the way. If they're small steps, they do move us, and let's use them, but let's go on beyond them. The grand staircase that leads to the sweeping vista of heaven itself. How do we prove our love of God? <coughs> we prove our love of God by obedience to his commandments. What is thy will, O Lord? Not just the Ten Commandments. What is your will for me in life? Here I am. Maybe not the best beginnings. Maybe battered and bruised along the way. But here I am. And I will accept these things because I can use them towards you. I can also use them away from you. You know, stairways also go down as well as up. And if you're on a certain step... Which way are you going to go? Are you going to go up? Are you going to stay there? Or are you going to go down? You see, uh, all these comparisons in life, every day's activities are parables to our uh, relationship with God and his creatures. Our Lord says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. He doesn't say, show it, or feel it, or s express it. He says, hard-headedly, keep my commandments. Now, you know, Eastern spirituality is very mystical, and it's almost like a, an ecstasy of uh, sensual pleasure. Western spirituality, our kind of spirituality, more hard-headed, down-to-earth, factual, linear. Uh, we look neither right nor left, but proceed. Uh, we don't have this uplifting as much as Eastern spirituality that sometimes retards us because it's so self-satisfying at the same time. So if you love me, keep my commandments. Hard nose, rock bottom, basic. Keep my commandments. We show our love more by deeds than by words. St. John says, My dear children, let us not love in word, neither with the tongue, but in deed. The love of God is not mere delight in thinking of him, you know, sometimes people take these emotional feelings as love. Well, it can attend love, but it's not the essence of it. It consists rather of an act of the will, that most powerful, most beautiful, most dignified act that a person can perform is to make a choice. An act of the will to live a godly life on account of that love. However, the love of God also makes us speak and think of him frequently, since it is a human trait to do so regarding the object of affection. You talk about, you think about the thing you love or the person you love. One who loves God is united with him at every moment in every uh, fiber of his being, in thought, in word, in deed. And we have this little rule, where thy treasure is, there is thy heart also. So what is your treasure? A set of golf clubs, car, home, all paid expenses, trip around the world. What is it? Health, freedom from decisions, 
all these things. What's your want list? Where thy treasure is there, also your heart will be. It's what you think about, therefore. Do you think about God? How often? And how deeply? We show greater love when we do not only avoid what God forbids, but do what will give him pleasure. Now, God is not going to be made happier because we are, or we do things for him. He is infinitely happy, but we give him that glory that we owe him. So he has made a conditional response possible by creation that they could give back to him in a reflected way his own glory that he has. And it gives him pleasure to know that we love him. We're grateful. We appreciate. And we go to him not for what he gives us but because of what he is, his goodness. Thus God does not command us to go to Mass every day but if we do so, he is pleased by this mark of our love. If you don't go to Mass, if you say your prayers, or if you do things for his sake, or give up things for his sake, if you suffer things for his sake, whatever it is for his sake, he is um, honored and he is pleased. Finally, we increase our love of God by loving him. What you do increases by doing it. Practice makes perfect. The more we love him, the more we can love him. It's sort of a reflection back and forth. It's like a resonance. It uh, doesn't stay put. It, res it comes back and forth. The more you give, the more it comes back at you. And if you give hatred, the more hatred comes back. If you give love, the greater is the love. If you give generously, generosity is returned. So it's what we choose that we're going to get. What we give is what we re receive in return. The more we love him, the more we can love him. Every piece of good work we do makes us grow in God's love. So every day should be an opportunity to become more in love with God, give more to God, and continue to grow in that knowledge and love and service of God. After all, uh, faith, hope, and charity are not static. They don't come like a gun drop out of a machine. Uh, it's something that continues to grow, like a seed, like a leaven. It continues to touch everything in our lives. We show our love of God by accepting all that comes from his hand. You know, whatever happens, happens by God's permission, at least that. At least that, his permissive will. Whatever happens, even the bad things, we can turn them to good by letting them make us pure, um, more generous, more sensitive, more understanding, more appreciative of what others have to endure. Don't just say, look at me, but let me look at you. That's love of neighbor. Something to learn. One who, habitu who habitually murmurs at all inconveniences, sickness, misfortune, and so on, does not possess Christian love of God. Sad to say, but we can overcome that. We can grow who never promised us deliverance from all earthly ills. He didn't make a deal with us, but if you were to ask for one thing, what would it be? I'd like to talk a little bit then about our spiritual life. What is it? It is a change. It is a developing of the 
supernatural spirituality of our religion. It's a transfer from sin to virtue, from disorder to order, from the fallen nature to the sublime supernatural. And it's all within the same person or action of our lives. You don't have to go on a long pilgrimage. You don't have to endure severe sufferings. It's a change of heart. Spirituality is something that comes within you like a good spirit displacing an evil spirit. You cannot have both spirits at the same time. You cannot have darkness and light at the same time. But one changes from the condition to the opposite. As midnight turns to noon through the degrees of dawn to the fullness of day. So too, there is a change that takes place from our fallen nature that we're born with. You know, it's strange a child is born with cries. It cries. It doesn't laugh. It cries. And it's the condition of man to weep and to learn how to smile and then to laugh and to have joy instead of pain and suffering. It's a change that takes place. So spiritual change isn't just a human change, but it's a change from the human to the divine. It's a conversion. It's a translation. You know, a translation is a changing from one language to the language you understand. And the meaning is the same, but the words are different. So too, the words change, but the meaning is that we are translated from a condition of fallen human nature to a resurrected or a transferred or improved divine perfection. Now, on our part, we have half of it. We must have a change of our heart. That doesn't bring us to heaven, but it sets us in the course. It orients us. And with that attitude, we begin to have an attitude of prayer, an attitude of faith, an attitude of hope and of love. But on his part, God then makes the transformation uh, from the natural to the supernatural. So again, uh, what is required for salvation? He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who believes not will be condemned. Now, it's up to us to orient ourselves in the belief, to listen to the words of God, and then God, seeing our faith, our prayer, our love, will take hold and lift us up by baptism to the transformation of sons and daughters of God in, with, and through Christ. The mystical body is the key idea that we are members of Christ. Um, it is an interior membership of a transformation to become Christ-like. And the more Christ-like be we become, the more holy will be our activities, interiorly as well as exteriorly. Our activities to God, to love him, with increasing measure our brotherly love, not on a humanitarian or sentimental basis, but on the love of God, we will love each other as potential children of God or members of his kingdom. Enemies of the church can become friends of the church. 
those who uh, have no faith can receive the gift of faith. You encourage every little thing. As Christ who came into the world, the bruised reed, he did not break. No, it's broken halfway, but it's still mendable or still hanging on. He didn't break it off in his anger or justice. He let it be to heal and to regain strength again. The smoldering flax, he did not quench the flax that was uh, uh, about to burst into flame. He didn't smother it. He didn't uh, blow it to a greater flame. He let it alone, hoping that it would then find its rightful condition uh, to go out and become whole, at least what was left of it. So how do we deal with life? We smash things. We uh, pour uh, burning coals upon people's heads. Um, when they could become saints, if we encourage them, had mercy, forgiveness. When do we stop? 77 times 7, which means never. Uh, if you have to be victimized, God will replace what is taken. Do not hold on to it too, too tightly. You may lose even that which you have. So again, it is that giving. The, the gifts of God come from God who never stops giving. And the children of God never stop giving. It's when we become selfish that we cease to be children of God or diminish our sonship or daughtership. So what is the spiritual life? It's a transformation that demands our cooperation and God's action at the same time to make real what we cannot do, to make us children of God, adopted. If father doesn't adopt a, a, a child, it's not adopted. A child may be adoptable, but until the Father adopts it, it's not adopted. And so when God has chosen us by baptism, we are adopted. We can cut that off and become unworthy by sin. Forgiveness brings us back again. And as we grow, the smoldering flax will begin to achieve something that is wholesome and good rather than be destroyed in the process of its weakness. The bruised reed likewise. So it's a change. And it comes from the word that is the word of God, the seed that is the beginning of life. Plant seeds. Don't just tear up the ground. But give hope, give mercy, give love, and love will come, and mercy will bear its fruit. And things will progress beyond the damage that is here and now. So this is the kind of love that goes out for the love of God who loves us and sees a growth within us by our growing in regards to others. So if you want to read the lives of the saints, go to our Blessed Mother. She is our spiritual guide. She is the one who knows it all and can teach us, like a wise mother, her children, to bring <coughs> us to God. So your devotion to the Blessed Mother, the scapular that you wear, the rosary that you say, the devotion that you have to our Blessed Mother is not mis misplaced because she just takes and transfers it onto her son. And he transfers it onto his father. So this is the spiritual life, the great commandment, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. And to love your neighbor is a consequence of this love of God. Do these things and you will live.
life everlasting. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.